Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The goalkeeper is a lonesome creature. Alone in his box... He hangs out with his gloves and his crossbar. You only notice him when he messes up and concedes. He's got a lot of time to think. The French philosopher Albert Camus was a goalkeeper. He said, quote, All that I know most surely about morality and duty I owe to football. Vladimir Nabokov called his fellow goalkeepers aloof, solitary, impassive. Aside from antisocial writers, who would want this thankless job? To Higuita. He wants to show off. The and he's denied! Oh! Today we're going to look at a lineage of local Latin American goalkeepers who transformed the role and whose wild, unhinged antics terrified and delighted their own fans along the way. I'm Nando Vila, and you're listening to the best soccer podcast in the world. In 1912, the Football Association limited goalkeepers to using their hands inside of their own boxes, rather than anywhere in their own halves. Hungarian Gyula Grosic was among the first to come off his line consistently. He won a gold medal with Hungary at the 1952 Summer Olympics. Apostol Sokolov, Lev Yashin, and Amadeo Carrizo built on the idea of the sweeper-keeper. Lev Yashin saved over 100 penalties and had a cigarette and a shot before the game to get in the right mindset. Legendary Argentina and River Plate stopper Carrizo was the first to wear gloves. The goalkeeper's role back then was purely just to stop the ball if it came to him and get it back up the pitch. If you see uh, clips of these old games from the 50s, from the 60s, most keepers, they will only limit themselves to grabbing hold of the ball with two hands, just taking their time and then 
launching it back up the pitch, not really caring uh, who it landed with. And Carrizo was different. He was a guy who, who did leave his line. He would, you know, as the position suggests, sweep up behind the defence if, if it was needed. He could play with his feet. This is Daniel Edwards, a soccer journalist based in Buenos Aires. Carrizo set a record for appearances for River Plate on the famed La Máquina team and won six domestic titles with his club. He was the first goalie to trick a striker by faking an offside call. His birthday became the day of the goalkeeper in Argentina. His audacity of dribbling out past opposing players caught on, including with a young Colombian named René Iguita, or as the coach who discovered and championed the Iguita would call him, El Loco. Iguita was born in a slum in Medellin and grew up playing under the floodlights paid for by Pablo Escobar. He played as a striker throughout his youth until one day when the team's goalkeeper was unavailable, the coach gave Iguita the gloves. He always just seemed a reluctant goalkeeper, right? He was a guy that was so comfortable getting out of his goal and dribbling up the pitch. And he was a great keeper in his own right, but he almost just, just seemed to be bored of the role. So he would, he would just try this outrageous stuff. And there's the free kick and Iguita. Had to get across very, very quickly indeed. He scored seven goals in his debut season, which earned him a transfer to Nacional Medellín. Fueled by cocaine money, Nacional flourished, eventually winning the Copa Libertadores in 1989. The final went to penalties. Iguita stopped four and scored his own as Nacional became the first Colombian team to win South America's biggest club competition. But that team, you know, that Atlético Nacional team has just gone into history as one of the greatest South American club teams that ever was. His antics between the posts, um, it definitely announced him as, uh, as someone to watch. And so this guy, Francisco Maturano, the coach of that age, he comes in around 1990 and he says, look, we're not going to beat Argentina, Brazil by fouling them, by spoiling. You know, we're Colombians. We love, we love to have fun. We love to just show our true selves. So we're going to do that on the pitch. We were talking about uh, Iguita's uh, unorthodox style. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite well, like that in international that's, football. Uh, that's pure confidence. I and mean, of course, Iguita, with all of his antics, all of his, all of his free spirit in the goal, that's where it all started, and it just filtered through the entire team from there. In his international debut, Iguita kept a clean sheet against the Soviet Union for 120 minutes, saving two penalties and scoring the decisive spot kick. Just a very colourful figure on and off the pitch and definitely one of these guys who in the 90s, which was, you know, especially early 90s, a fairly bleak time for the football where a lot of teams weren't really proposing anything. The game uh, was dogged by violence, dogged by very negative play. He must be the best player on the five side. <laughs> and then you have a team like Colombia who just came up in the 1990 World Cup and it was like, well, you can play a bit different. You can play with a bit of joy in your heart. This is really good to see. At the time, Colombia was thrilling. With Carlos Valderrama bossing games from under his bouncing blonde fro, Colombia made it to the knockout rounds of the 1990 World Cup, beating the UAE and drawing with Germany. The Colombian players, coaches go absolutely wild. The team was built on Iguita's peculiar style of play. He was, and still is, kind of, kind of an idol and an icon and a representative of not just 
you know, Colombia and Colombian soccer, but of a, of a time and an era, you know, in, in a different way. I know we put them, you know, like Carlos Valderrama, in a, in a very different way than Carlos Valderrama, but equally as impactful and in, impressionable, if you will. This is Alexi Lalas, a defender for the U.S. national team in the 90s and now a pundit for Fox Soccer. As coach Francisco Maturana put it, quote, with René acting as a sweeper, we effectively have 11 outfield players. It allowed the whole team to push higher up the field. In total, Iguita conceded just 54 goals in 68 games for Colombia, less than one per game. René Iguita was uh, very uh, popular because of his uh, tendency to go out of his penalty area and dribble around four or five or six. But then in the World Cup, he famously lost the ball to Roger Mila in the last 16 against Cameroon in extra time. And that's why Colombia went out. So he was punished eventually. This is Michael Jokin, a freelance soccer journalist. So Cameroon in the round of 16, Let's talk about it. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty much deadlocked like a lot of the games at the 1990 World Cup was. Iguita receives the ball and just decides, as he had done for so many times, to dribble it out, see what he can do. And he came up against, uh, against Cameroon and lost the ball and gifted the goal to Roger Miller. And that was it for Colombia. They, they couldn't get back and... Um, one of the, the most enjoyable teams at, at that World Cup when uh, we're forced to go home. In the Colombian goal is a keeper who lives on a knife edge. He's an exhibitionist, a great taker of risks. Miller dispossessed him. Higuita a red face. Miller another goal. And another dance. Miller's dance with the corner flag became famous. Higuita called his turnover, quote, a mistake as big as a house. Colombia 1990, that was an outstanding team. That was a team that could have won the World Cup in 94 and maybe even 1990. And it was Iguita being a bit of a fool against Cameroon, which cost them both goals. This is Gabriele Marcotti, a senior writer for ESPN. You know, you or I probably could have scored one of those two goals when you get when you get gifted them, you know, the way he did. And Iguita was totally out of position for the other goal as well, which people often forget. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see Iguita as this positive, romantic figure. Neither did Colombia four years later. Higuita wasn't at the 1994 World Cup because he'd only just got out of prison for reasons that I think only Higuita would would really be able to explain. He'd managed to get caught up in a kidnapping case in Colombia. Pablo Escobar had escaped his mountaintop prison and was on the run. His bank accounts were frozen. He needed money. So he went about it the old-fashioned way. Kidnapping. He abducted the daughter of his former partner turned rival. Carlos Molina. Molina asked Iguita to act as an intermediary to transfer the money. He had some personal link, so he got involved in this kidnapping case. This wasn't Iguita's brightest moment, but you tried turning down a drug kingpin when he personally asks for a favor. Iguita carried the $300,000 in cash, handed it over, and idly signed autographs for the street kids who recognized him while he waited. The girl was delivered to his side without him seeing where she appeared from. The victim eventually got home safely. Egita allegedly received a very handsome sum of money for his involvement. And eventually the, the Colombian authorities caught up with him and said, no, you're complicit in this kidnapping. So he spent almost a year, I think, in prison, got out 
just before the World Cup. Obviously, he hadn't played for a year. He was in pretty terrible shape, so he was forced to watch from home and Oscar Corba went in his stead. As Iguita puts it, he went to jail because he tried to save a teenage girl. He called his motives humanitarian. He was never tried and was released after seven months. He sued the Bogota prison when they tried to cut his hair. His lawyer argued that his hair was, quote, essential to his personality, his performance, and his image. I mean, he's got lots of it. This is James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show. People knew who René Higuita was because of the hair. He had this big kind of, you won't remember the hair bear bunch. It was a short-lived Hanna-Barbera cartoon about Somewhere out there, someone's going, oh, yeah, I know the hair by bunch. Oh, I understand what he means about René Higuita's hair. It was that kind of thing. For that person, you get it. But for the rest of you, it was kind of like a big, kind of like bubble, permed kind of frizz. He paired his hairdo with extravagant jerseys and huge puffed up sleeves. Colourful, I guess would be the best way uh, to describe it. Flamboyant, electric colours on his shirt, flying hair down to his, uh, down to his shoulders, the moustache... He was only 5'9", which is really short for a goalie. He was also a larger-than-life character, and he inhabited that character with, you know, just incredible, beautiful arrogance in the way that he went about it. With Iguita regaining fitness at home, Colombia imploded in 1994. On the, side, it's it's own goal. the USA gets the score, Escobar! On the own goal, and the United States leads Colombia one to nothing. Andres Escobar scored an own goal and was later murdered back in Medellin. A tragic story for another episode. At the time, Colombia was mired deep in cartel violence. If you know of Iguita, it's for something he did after that. He gave the world a different view of Colombia. Wembley Stadium, 1995. England versus Colombia. Goodness me, have you ever seen anything like that in your life from a goalkeeper? <laughs> it was terrible, terrible friendly. I remember it well. Um, really, really turgid stuff. No, neither of the teams were, were really looking for a goal. And it kind of goes back to, um, to what I was saying before about Iguita. Just almost seeming bored of football, bored of being a goalkeeper at times. So he decided to make the game noteworthy on his own. It was a um, misplaced cross-come-shot from Jamie Redknapp. Uh, just floated into his direction. Iguita could easily have catched it, but he decided to show the world his scorpion kick. It was incredible. Basically, he jumped forward into a handstand and kicked the ball with his heels, while upside down. The world had never seen anything like it. It spawned... Millions of uh, copycats. Everyone wanted to do the scorpion kick on the playground. I think even a friend of mine managed to dislocate his shoulder because he tried it. So I think there was probably a lot of emergency rooms in England at that time for kids and pediatricians that weren't very happy with Iguita. Iguita says it, quote, put Colombia on the map. Definitely Iguita gave a lot of people a lot to talk about after that scorpion kick because Colombia hadn't had a good World Cup the year before. So that was really the narrative behind Colombia. Then Aguita comes along and, and just changes the, the story. You know, he's, it's the country that invented the scorpion kick. It's one of the most iconic soccer highlights of all time. Your grandma has seen it. Iguita lived off the fame of the scorpion kick for the rest of his career. He recreated it in an ad for Frutino, a drink sort of like Kool-Aid. 
Most of his 51 career goals came toward the end of his playing days, when he signed for lower league clubs largely as a publicity stunt. In 2004, he tested positive for cocaine, entered rehab, and didn't play again for three years. In that time, he had plastic surgery on a reality TV show. They televised his nose job, his chin implant, skin peel, eyelid trim, and liposuction. He had been voted Colombia's ugliest icon. He said, quote, I'm tired of being ugly, René. I want to be handsome, René. Afterward, he announced that, body-wise, he was perfect. He played off and on until he was 44, retiring in 2010 from a second division team in Colombian coffee country. But let's get back to the 1990 World Cup for a moment. It was the uh, lowest scoring uh, World Cup in history, and something had to be done. So FIFA came up with a new law to help keep the game moving, the back pass rule. It was a way just to speed up the game. Uh, FIFA knew that football was in a bit of trouble, and the back pass was a huge uh, part of that because you could waste minutes and minutes on end by giving the ball, you know, back to the keeper. It was just a very, very ugly, unpleasant tactic. Igita calls the back pass rule Igita's law. After the rule change, goalkeepers now are expected to do things that Igita pioneered. And goalkeepers uh, had to play better with their feet. Their role changed and they became more involved in building the play from behind. More about what happened next after the break. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With Igita absent for World Cup 94, the first World Cup after the backpass rule was implemented, 
the role of fluorescent flamboyant goalkeeper fell to the diminutive Mexican Jorge Campos. And to just see this guy, Campos, come out with this Technicolor goalkeeper shirt and just looking so supremely confident because he always seemed to have this look on his face like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. The whole team's just going to follow me and it's uh, and it's going to be fine. Instinctive reaction then from Signori. And Campos was in the right place. We obviously just thought it was hilarious that this guy was coming out in a pink and yellow shirt. Drawn in a group with boring Ireland and Italy, Mexico was a breath of fresh air. And that minty fresh breath came in the form of their goalkeeper. Jorge Campos sparkled as Mexico beat Ireland and drew with eventual finalists Italy. In the knockout rounds, Mexico came up against Bulgaria. Each team had a player sent off in one of the wildest games of the tournament. It went to penalties. Campos saved the first, but his teammates managed to miss three in a row and Mexico crashed out. FIFA listed him as the world's third best goalkeeper before that World Cup. Two years later, Nike featured him in their epic Good vs. Evil ad, along with all of the best players in the world, Eric Cantona, Luis Figo, Ronaldo, and Paolo Maldini. He was one of my favorite goalkeepers because he was very, very short. I mean, he was the shortest player of the Mexican team, and his magnificent, colorful outfits and he also loved to dribble, not like Iguita, but he was shorter than Leo Messi, you know? That, it's incredible. Campos is listed at five foot six, though he disputes that. He used to stand on top of a soccer ball in the back row of team photos just to appear taller. So just how tall was he? I mean, he would maybe come up to my nipple. Alexi Lalas played against him many times over the years. Probably, and then maybe a little, a little taller with... Um... The hair, because at that point, you know, back then he was really poofing it out and, you know, having it high. So, yeah, he got a couple extra inches with the hair there. So not diminutive, uh, I would say, but but certainly not imposing in terms of his actual height, personality and color and all that. Now, that's a whole other story. Jorge Campos was a surfer, horseback rider and sometimes goalkeeper for Macapulco, a beach resort town on the Pacific coast of Mexico, where Campos grew up on a ranch and spent every weekend in the waves. He was a, a special character as well, you know. He came from Acapulco, uh, where uh, surfing is the most popular spot, and he was a brilliant surfer. The sand taught me endurance and reflexes, he said. Surfing taught me balance and elasticity. It also taught him fearlessness. He said that there was more pressure surfing than in soccer. When you go surfing, you do have to watch out for sharks after all. Like Iguita, all throughout his youth career, Campos played as a forward. In fact, in his debut season in Mexico with Pumas, he found his progress to the first team blocked by an established veteran keeper. So Campos asked to play as a striker, and he managed to score 14 goals, a team high. Los dos los han fallado, ¿sí o no? sí, muy bien. By 1990, he was the starting goalkeeper for both Pumas and Mexico. He won the Mexican League that year. He spent the majority of his career in goal, but certainly not all of it. He famously played both goalkeeper and striker in some games. The first was for Atlante, his next club. His team was trailing to Cruz Azul, so the coach subbed on the backup goalkeeper and moved Campos into the attack. He scored the equalizer, his best goal, a tijerita scissor kick, after launching himself through the air. 
Throughout his career, Campos alternated between wearing the number one and the number nine. When in goal, he'd wear an outfield jersey underneath his goalie shirt, just in case. Now let's talk about those jerseys. If you know of Campos, it's because of the uniform. Campos designed them himself, many an homage to surfer gear in his hometown. They were neon day-glow psychedelic colored things with a three-quarter sleeve and huge armholes. Your aesthetic and the way that you looked and for lack of a better word, your costume that you wore was important. And he certainly recognized that he was playing a part and therefore the costume that he put on was as important as actually, you know, the, the lines that he that he gave and the, and the performance that he gave. This wasn't just something that he pulled off the top of his head. It was comfortable for him, but it was strategic and he understood entertainment. He understood performance. He understood the stage. He understood the, the connection between the audience and the stage and that character that you were playing. And he, you know, he went about cultivating. Campos was so tied to this image that it nearly cost him a spot in the World Cup. You see, Campos produced his own jerseys. When the Mexican Federation made a deal with Umbro to supply their uniforms, Campos refused to wear them. After a standoff, they reached a compromise. Campos kept designing and producing his own jerseys, but he would sew the Umbro label on them. Off the field, he wore sandals and shorts. He inhaled haagen ice cream. Everything about him was unorthodox, especially his style of play. He would frequently dribble the ball deep into the opposition half with fearless nonchalance. Sometimes he doesn't get enough credit for, you know, really being ahead of his time, fearless when it came to how he played. And I think in today's game where we put so much emphasis on playing out of the back and the ability for a goalkeeper to be good with their feet, some of the stuff that defenders and goalkeepers do in today's game, we would never be caught dead doing. And yet Jorge Campos was doing that and more at a time when it wasn't cool or de jour to, uh, to kind of do it. So he was a man ahead of his time. Campos seemed to revel in the risk. He'd make a save and launch straight up the field. World Cup winning Argentine coach Cesar Luis Menotti called him, quote, a prototype of the 21st century goalkeeper. Remember, this is the 90s. Goalkeepers are just now figuring out how to deal with the ball without picking it up. But what people forget is once a keeper picks up the ball, you know, he's either going to punt it and then it becomes a 50-50 ball or he's going to roll it out to somebody. Campos chose a third option. We know it's soccer where it's very difficult to score. And so more often than not, it ends up with, you know, being in the goalkeeper's hands. But in that moment, when everybody kind of turns around and adjusts, the goalkeeper actually has the best view of what is going on. Jorge Campos would recognize and then go about exploiting both the sheer numbers and the practical overflow of numbers in that half. It was starting a counterattack. So it was it was feeding off of a number of things, the confusion uh, the lapse in mentality that, that normally happens, uh, and then the novelty of it. Campos won the 1993 and 1996 Gold Cups with Mexico. Alexi grimly recalls the 93 Gold Cup final when his USA team got thrashed 4-0. Particular loss in the Gold Cup final, you know, I was young. I think that was my first time playing in Azteca. And so just the awe of playing in Azteca. And then we got our ass kicked. I mean, that's a game where Jorge just sat in the back uh, and you know, smoked a cigarette and drank a coffee, basically, because we didn't. We certainly weren't doing anything to to challenge him up there, and we didn't see that, you know, that that marauding type of Jorge because it wasn't necessary. And he was smart. He recognized when it was necessary and when it uh, when it wasn't. 
1996, Major League Soccer made Campos its first international signing. His face was everywhere. TV commercials, magazines, on a mural in Hollywood and Vine. His signing bonus was a new Ferrari. Campos would play double headers. Mexico, then Galaxy appearances back-to-back in the same day in the same stadium. Or he'd play a game in the Mexican League, jump on a plane, and play in MLS 24 hours later. Fans on either side of the border adored him. He was seemingly always moving through a throng of autograph seekers. The signing was a huge hit. Eventually, Campos was traded to the Chicago Fire, a new team in the 1998 season. He alternated time with Zach Thornton, a 6'3", 210-pound American whose father was a tight end for the University of Kentucky. For the playoffs, coach Bob Bradley went with Thornton. Campos left the country to play for Pumas and never returned to MLS. Thornton and the Fire won the MLS Cup. And that will do it. A new champion for Major League Soccer. The expansion fire dethroned the champion. The Fire rules supreme. That same year, Campos and Mexico again exited in the round of 16 in the World Cup. Campos could do nothing again. The squad became known as the Yamerito, so close generation. Overall, he made 129 appearances for Mexico, three of them as a striker, and was their biggest star at the time. He was definitely one of their, uh, their greatest players. He was ahead of his time as far as personal branding and playing out of the back. But how good was he really? To be honest, Jorge Campos was an undersized goalkeeper who was technical and like a lot of players you know, played a different position as well and sometimes enjoyed playing that other position. But it was fundamentally, I thought, a gimmick. And I talk a lot about the character that they play. It never overshadowed their ability. So there was never a question as to whether they were good soccer players. As a matter of fact, you you can argue that they were great soccer players. But this other part of them, in my view, in my eyes, only made them greater than what they were. Or as Campos put it, quote, if you look good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you play good. More about what happened next after the break. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? 
so are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Campos scored over 30 goals in his career. Higuita, 51. But next in the line of local Latin American goalkeepers surpassed them both. That's right, Jose Luis Felix Chilavert. He was a behemoth, six foot two and over 200 pounds. And Chilavert is a, another character entirely. I think when it came to uh, you know stopping guys on a one-on-one, there weren't many people better because he would just come out at you and put that huge frame right in front and it wasn't easy to beat him from there. He was a frightening goalkeeper with a, with a bulldog shot who loved to take a penalties and free kicks. He didn't really play outside of his box. He scored well over 60 goals in his career. He's the first goalkeeper to score a hat-trick. His first goal for Paraguay came deep in stoppage time against Colombia. Our pal Iguita was in goal. They shared a warm hug afterward. Chilaver once scored from his own half. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the one he scored from, from the halfway line. Just an absolutely brilliant effort. Vela's got a completely innocuous free kick uh, just behind the halfway line. No one could ever imagine anything was going to come from it. Chilaver comes charging up from his goal and almost without breaking stride, let's rip. And the ball flies miles up in the air and falls just inside the river net. He caught the the river keeper that day completely off guard. Um, and it's one that always shows up even now on, on old clip shows. Chilabert started taking free kicks early in his career as a novelty and then practiced hours, hours and hours after training, taking 80 to 120 free kicks a day until, quote, they gave me the job for real. In his career, Chilabert won league titles in Paraguay, Argentina and Uruguay. He won a league cup in France. FIFA named him the best goalkeeper in the world three times in the late 90s. But he was arguably at his best while on Vélez Sarsfield. In his decade there, Chilaver won four league titles and the Copa Libertadores. Internationally, Chilaver took Paraguay into the knockout rounds of the World Cup twice, further than the small nation had ever gone before. Just wide of the diving Chilaver, he had a busy day, did Chilaver. A real lion for... Paraguay, he got him to, um, to the World Cup for the first time in, in years and years and years and just uh, established himself as a, as a national hero. Azidane Les France knocked him out in 1998 on the way to the title with the first golden goal in World Cup history. So focused by Chilvert, this ball deflects off a defender as you'll see here. He uses quick footwork and a full extension just you see here to deflect the ball wide, one of many key saves. An eventual finalist, Germany, knocked him out with a late goal in 2002. Neuville, that's the winner! 
surely with two minutes to go, Neubel has put Germany into the quarterfinals. Chilavert's aim was to become the first goalkeeper to score in a World Cup. And he came pretty close. Finally, Jose Luis Chilavert. And they're standing in many parts of the stadium now in anticipation of this. Here's the shot! Everything about Chilavert was larger than life. Brazil coach Luis Felipe Scolari said he was loaded down with 400 kilograms of fat. Yeah, he was just a bulldog, essentially, as he used to wear on his chest for Vélez. He was just such an intimidating figure, such a huge, huge man to have behind you. They sold Bulldog Chilavert t-shirts. The Paraguayan Football League once held a competition to find the bulldog that looked most like the one on the jersey. I honestly don't know how he got it. I mean... The logical uh, answer would be that he looks quite a lot like a bulldog. He's this huge guy, massive shoulders, stout neck and big head. So definitely the physical uh, similarities are there. And the bulldog just snarled out of his jersey. Um, I think the best way I could describe it would be Spike from Tom and Jerry, but even more menacing. It was definitely, you know, as we said with Vegeta, he knew what his image was and he loved to play up to it. Chilavert said, I created an image. For me, with this face, it was much easier to play the bad guy. He certainly had the rap sheet to back it up. He punched Faustino Asprilla in the nose in a World Cup qualifier. He also picked up four suspended jail sentences in his life. One for hitting a ball boy, one for attacking a physio, one for forging documents in a contract dispute, and one in a defamation lawsuit. He called the South American Football Confederation president corrupt. His hard-headedness also came across in his resolute morals. He insisted that the Paraguay players donate a portion of their World Cup bonuses to the staff. And he boycotted the 1999 Copa America because he thought the money used to host it would be better spent feeding the children. Brazil have kept hold of the Copa America. They have retained their South American title. Chilaver was a very different type of player than Iguita and Campos. He didn't dribble out of the box. Besides his set-piece goals, Chilavert's contributions to the attack came in the form of what South Americans called the big kick. He could pick out teammates with long punts. Already, a decade after the back pass rule, the role was changing. So that's what we saw, you know, starting with about the 1994 World Cup, the game did start to become more open. There was a little bit of an overlap, I think, with um, keepers, you know, taking time to learn these new skills that they needed. Why? Uh, as a result of not being able to pick up the ball so much. But once they got there, it definitely changed the game and, and it started moving a bit more quickly. Nowadays, Manuel Neuer, Hugo Lloris, Ederson and Allison could all probably play in midfield. Allison! Would you believe it? Allison, the goalkeeper, has saved Liverpool's season. It shows, you know, football is a game which has always evolved. Teams have more to gain from the goalkeeper pushing up to join the other 10 than they have to lose from the times when a goalie gets caught on the ball and turns it over. That position has evolved. There were times where that player wasn't being used to effect and was just kind of sitting back there and waiting to save the ball, as opposed to adding an additional player that if he or she is good enough with their feet can actually act as, you know, that sweeper or that that last line of defense or that, more, more importantly, the first line of offense coming out of the back. And so I think it 
While we didn't put a name to it and we didn't necessarily think about it in those ways that we do now, that was what was happening. And I think you need ultimately goalkeepers who are able to envision themselves as being more than just shot stoppers and more than just your traditional person in there. And, and that by no way means that shot stopping and saving the ball shouldn't be your priority, but you can do so much more. The goalkeeper is a little less lonesome now. It took a few men of questionable sanity and a global rule change, but the modern goalkeeper has finally joined the pack. The Best Soccer Podcast in the World is a production of Exile Content Studios in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Nando Vila. Produced by Ana Isabel Octavio and Zach Lee Rigg. Written by Zach Lee Rigg. Production assistance by Stella Emmett. Our executive producers are Isaac Lee, Rose Reed, and myself, Nando Vila. Our executive producers at iHeart are Giselle Bances and Arlene Santana. Sound design by Hugo Mendoza. Our awesome theme song is by Lou J. Special thanks to all the voices who participated in this episode, Daniel Edwards, Alexi Lalas, Michael Yokin, Gabriele Marcotti, and James Richardson. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.